You're listening to the Long's Chapel Weekly Message Podcast, available Sundays at 5 o'clock p.m. If you would like to connect to Long's Chapel or keep up with all events happening at Long's Chapel Church, connect with us via Instagram, Facebook, or on our church website, longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ, because all people matter to God. This week's message comes from our lead pastor, Reverend Chris Westmoreland. We have an opportunity to uh, reflect over the next several weeks on what is, uh, we oftentimes think of Easter as a day. It's actually a season in the life of the church. Um, it's actually 50 days. And so it's meant to be um, an opportunity to be able to celebrate the gift of resurrection, which deserves more than just one Sunday and, you know, kind of one hour plus of worship. We have an opportunity to experience um, the real power of, of the resurrection. And so uh, doing a sermon series called Rise Up, looking at five different scriptures that kind of approach the resurrection from a different perspective, believing that somehow in all of that, we have the chance to be able to grab hold of the hope and the life um, that is available to each and every one of us. Um, Anybody in the congregation need a little bit more hope today? Yes, that was not loud and emphatic enough. Thank you. Yes, we do need need hope. Um, Today's sermon, friends, is for um, any one of us and I'm going to suggest probably all of us, but any one of us who has ever felt like a seeker, ever felt like a skeptic, ever felt like somebody that didn't know what to do with the doubt that was welling up in you about what had authority and who has authority to speak into your life and by what authority does that happen and like um, if you've ever been in a kind of a like a questioning mindset and maybe most specifically for those of, and I'll say those of us that have been a part of church our whole entire life and have had those questions but have never felt safe to kind of ask them out loud, it's one of the things that gives me the most amount of hope in the life of the discipleship path um, that is a part of Long's Chapel is that we create not just like space for seekers, skeptics, and questions, but actually an expectation that we're going to have questions, not that those things need to be shoved down because God is big enough to actually um, help honor those questions and help honor those parts of who we are and the places where we're struggling and wrestling to figure out what actually is um, truth and what does this actually mean um, for myself and for for the world. And so as we have an opportunity to do that, um, I want to continue the resurrection story from last week. I'm switching up the order of the series just a little bit, but I want to continue with um, John 20 and have an opportunity for us to spend a little bit of time with a guy named Thomas, who I think actually has um, a good bit to offer us. To get into that scripture, it'll be like four movements of the sermon today, Um, but but before we get into the scripture part, um, and we have an opportunity to just kind of read it, I just want to kind of read it really slow and really intentionally and allow us to just pause to find ourselves in it. Um, before we do that, I actually want to share, it's a, this is a movie clip. It's a clip of a movie, um, I think it's the same Brooklyn Finest. Um, it's a movie, it was out several, several years ago, but I actually just caught it uh, on a streaming service uh, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. And when I was just watching it as a movie, but after what we're getting ready to play for you, after this particular clip, which is about um, a police officer who has just placed himself in a pretty compromising position because he has some real urgent needs in his life that he's not finding easy answers to and like he's got to pay the bills and he's got to figure out what to do with his family and all that kind of good stuff so he's really wrestling with us right and I mean literally wrestling Um, and in fact the movie's not going to end very well for him but there's this moment it's about a two-minute clip where he is in a confessional and it is just a raw 
honest moment of somebody that is wrestling with God and wrestling with faith. And so I think it's important for us not just to honor those voices that are maybe outside of church buildings this morning, but also um, the kind of inner critic and the inner skeptic that's inside each and every one of us that sometimes we're not honest enough to be able to pay attention to, or we like don't think God's big enough that we can kind of trust God with that. Um, I think it's a really important clip. I will say it's pretty raw, but Caroline edited out the rawest parts. Can I say that? So it's like church appropriate clip, um, but I want you to imagine it's even more emphatic than this, um, but um, this is Ethan Hawke, and he's in a confessional, and, and take a listen. I did a bad thing, but to a bad guy, a very, very bad guy, right, and for good reason. You think that's a rationalization, right? That's what you're thinking. You're here. So you've prayed for guidance. No, I couldn't do that. Why not? Because prayers were not going to give me what I needed. Is that more important than your relationship with God? No matter what you may have done, he's ready to forgive you. Yes, huh? And we're all imperfect creatures. And we're led to sin. That's why we have to surrender our souls to God. With you. I've been here before, all right, asking for God's help a lot of times, okay? <laughs> and my situation is not getting any sunnier, you know? So, so I should have known. Your pride is denying the possibility of God's goodness. Why does he get all the glory, you know? Why is that? Huh? He gets all the glory and I get all the blame. I mean, is it not possible that maybe God isn't carrying his end of the weight? Look, this thing is obviously weighing on you. So release it. Confess your sin. Pray for forgiveness. I don't want God's forgiveness. I want his help. Is that so hard? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's just, let's do a few Hail Marys and go, okay? That's, thank you, thank you. This has been really good, thank you. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst men, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Thank you. Shall. Could you just take like 30 seconds and just pick somebody beside you? And um, if that was a good two and a half minute nap for you, then great, and you're welcome. Uh, and, and if there was something that was spoken in that, um, in that confession that spoke to your heart or that um, kind of pricked something in your spirit, maybe just take 30 seconds to share that with somebody near you. Will you do that? You do that. All right. Not, not that you need to holler any kind of quotes of that out, but do you feel led to? Anything that really spoke to you that you want to just give a, a voice to? Anything? Say that again. I'm so sorry. 
He didn't get the answer he wanted. I don't, I don't want God's forgiveness. I want God's help. Right? And, and it was at that moment where like, it was almost like that was where the confession started. And did you notice what he immediately did? What he immediately did was he went into like good Catholic mode and said, um, actually, Father, let's just, let's just, like, let's just go home. Like, can't you just give me a couple of Hail Marys or something? Like, in Catholic tradition, Hail Mary would have been one of, like, the penances that would have been given an opportunity to be able to kind of pray through the struggle. Um, and like, can't you just give me a diagnosis, and can't you just throw a prayer at me, and that'll make things better, right? When he was actually probably just getting into the heart of the stirrings of his heart, which seemed pretty significant uh, in that moment, not to cut anybody else off. Anybody else, one or two folks want to name something out of that that spoke to you? Kind of makes you wonder why he even went in there. Um, uh, wow, yes. And yet, and yet he went in. And yet he went in like seeking help. He, he went in like asking for help. And very clearly that he wanted help on his terms. Very clearly that he wanted help in his way. Um, friends, this is profound, profound stuff as we have an opportunity to kind of enter into somebody's wrestling, stirrings, and questions when all they can see is the thing that's in front of them because it's so in their face, but they're struggling to see anything else that's, that's real. Um, have you ever been in that space? Have you ever walked with somebody in that space? And I, I want to, um, as we read John 20 together, I want to invite you just to think about that as an example, maybe, of, of what that looks like to, to live the reality of this scripture out um, today. So the resurrection has just happened, right? And so verse 19 of John 20 begins like this. And I'm just going to try and read maybe the next 10 verses and just maybe pause after a verse or two, just kind of spend a few moments kind of getting into this story a bit, helping uh, each of us find our place in this story. Um, and, uh, and then we'll take a turn from there. So, like, later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but they were fearful, right? They were fearful of the Jews. They had locked all the doors in the house. They were kind of hunkering down for their life, and so Jesus entered and stood among them and said, peace to you, and then he showed them his hands and his side, now, um, like, this is the Jesus that has just been through a trial, and this is the Jesus that has, like, just walked what we call the Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross, and this is the Jesus that has just hung on a cross, and this is the Jesus that was transported to a borrowed grave, and, and this is the Jesus that then that early Sunday morning was found not in that grave. And, and um, like, there's uh, some encounters that happen around that grave, uh, and yet these are other encounters where the resurrected Jesus kind of shows up, and, and, he, and he says to these friends in, in, a, in a room where it wouldn't have really been possible for him to get it in any other way other than by the power of the Holy Spirit, like, peace to you, and then he shows his hands and his side, right? His hands and his side, like, like this is me, he's saying, right? And the disciples, like seeing the master with their own eyes, they're awestruck. Jesus repeated the greeting, peace to you, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. And, and, and then he took a deep breath and he breathed into them, receive the Holy Spirit, he said. 
And if you forgive someone's sins, they are gone for good. And if you don't forgive sins, well, then what in the world are you going to do with them? It's the message version. But, but Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, he wasn't with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples said, like, we saw the master. Like, he was here. Like, really, it was him. But Thomas said, like, this is, my language, this is my language, right? Thomas said, like, yeah, right. You guys weren't supposed to get into the wine yet, right? Like, yeah, right. Like, whatever. Like, really? Like, unless I see the nail holes in his hands and put my finger in the nail holes and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it, he says. Like, it's like a Jerry Maguire movie for me. Like, like show me the money, right? Like, show me that that's really Jesus and that's the way that you're going to prove it to me. And then we can have a conversation about is this Jesus that was crucified and put in the tomb, is he actually risen and resurrected and, and back and here? Eight days later, the disciples were again in the room and this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus um, came through the locked doors again, stood among them again, and said, peace to you again. And then he focused his attention on Thomas, and he said, hey, you to take your finger and examine my hands, and, and I want you to take your hand and stick it in my side. Like, like don't be unbelieving, but believe To which out of this exercise, Thomas says, my master and my God. And Jesus said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better, better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. For these are written down so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way that he personally revealed it. It's the word of God for the people of God. powerful, powerful story about uh, a resurrection encounter where someone's really trying to get like their head and heart around what actually is happening here? What does this actually look like? What does this actually mean? Can I um, kind of draw you into that a little bit? I actually think we have a, um, a picture. It's a historic, um, uh, historic picture of this particular moment in Scripture where, you know, we have um, like Thomas kind of reaching in and touching the resurrected Jesus could even be a little disturbing. Forgive me for that part, but I, it's important for us to, I think, get around the, the, like the reality of this story so we can appreciate um, kind of the message that we're meant to take from it. I, I, like a lot of things we could notice about this, but notice Thomas who's on the right. Notice his forehead and his brow. Like, what do you see there? What do you see there? Yeah, like, like, like he's intent. Like, can I invite you to look at his face? Like, I don't, I don't think he's playing games with Jesus. I think he's wrestling with how in the world this could be possible. I think he's struggling with every fiber and ounce of his being about what could this possibly be? What could this possibly mean? Like, could this possibly be true? 
Like, what am I seeing? I want you to think about the disciples, right? And this notion of the fact that, man, like post-resurrection, they could have a lot of different understandings about what it means for Jesus to be resurrected. And they're not all good, right? Like, like I don't know, man, if you just walked out on somebody or betrayed them in a way that you said that you would never betray them, um, and then you find out that they're still very much alive and present and real, isn't one of your thoughts like, oh man, I'm kind of in for it now. I'm not really sure I want that to be true, right? So, I mean, like, there's this, this um, like, fear, like, fearfulness, and then at the very same time, the disciples might have said, well, well, gosh, you know, Jesus said, you know, the like the temple is going to be torn down in three days and, and rebuilt. And oh my gosh, that really is him. That was really his body. So like maybe they're beginning to piece together some things that he taught and some truth that they can now see looking back, even though at the time they didn't necessarily believe it for what he said. Like there's quandary. There's like this perplexedness. There's this like um, inquiry. There's this like, can this actually be true? And if it is, what does it actually mean? What does it actually mean? I, I find it interesting, I was saying this week, the difference between um, wounds and scars. The difference between wounds and scars. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus doesn't like show up with bleeding wounds in these resurrection accounts. Actually shows up with scars. What's the difference between a wound and a scar? Well, like a wound, right? When you have a wound, it needs some pretty immediate triage, right? It's, it's bleeding, it's broken, it's a place where our bodies are broken, it's challenged, it needs some diagnosis, it needs some, it needs some healing, right? A scar, actually scars don't form on the dying, right? Like scars form where there's been healing. Scars form on the living, that are able to say, you know, like at one time something happened here and it, it wasn't the end of my story. It wasn't the end of my story. Think with me, friends, for just a moment about what it means for, for Thomas to like see Jesus in a pretty healed state in this space where, I was thinking earlier today as Caroline was praying for the worship team, I was thinking about this whole entire story as it's unfolding. And I'm thinking about the notion of the fact that in the crucifixion of Jesus, um, the, the world, right, especially the Roman world of the day, feels like they put a pretty emphatic period. But, but like in the resurrection story, it's pretty clear that God removes the period and puts a comma because there's more to come, Right? And like, don't worry, because like there's an exclamation point coming um, with an even larger outbreaking of the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrection power that is literally going to sweep through the first century world in profound life-altering ways that are going to lead to our faith in this time and in this place as um, like currents, like ripple effects of, of what God did and what the resurrected Jesus did in that space and in, and in that time. And as we kind of think and pray about that, as we kind of sit in that for just a moment, I can't help but wonder what's up underneath Thomas's skepticism, right? What's up underneath his seeking? And you know, the beauty of his seeking is that he was honest. The beauty of his seeking is that he's honest. The beauty of his seeking is that like he's there in the room with the guys, even though he's not sure where this thing is going, if it's even going anywhere, like everybody may be breaking up and going back to doing whatever they were doing before Jesus. He doesn't know, but he's there. Like he's there, like, like he puts himself in the place where the wrestling that's happening in his spirit could actually well up and, and something you know, new could emerge. Like God could do something with that, with that moment, with that struggle, with that brokenness, with that, with that wrestling. 
Like God can do something with that. What's underneath is skepticism. Is it, is it that this doesn't like make sense? I mean, it's a pretty bold claim. Is it, um, is it that he's feeling some guilt? Not even sure like he wants this to be true? And to hear um, uh, Sadie Robinson Huff, who's uh, of Duck Dynasty fame, I got to hear her speak this week, and she was sharing about one of the scariest moments uh, of, of, her, um, of her pastoral life when she had just felt the call to preach, and she was beginning to preach, and she had kind of her first kind of big preaching opportunity. She'd been working on it for forever, and instead of writing out notes or typing them on an iPad or something like I do, um, she had written them uh, in her Bible out in the margins on the side of the passage that she was going to preach on, and she's on her way to the church to give the sermon, really her first big sermon, and she um, like hears from God in a way that she doesn't normally hear from God, she said. And like I heard from God, God said, like, did you see that homeless guy back there? You're supposed to turn around and you're supposed to give him uh, your Bible. And, and she's like, I, I can't do that. And so they drive on a little further and, you know, a mile passes, a mile passes. And she's like, I, I, I like in a catch 22 here. She said, I'm either going to go into the biggest preaching opportunity I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm going to go in with no notes. I'm going to go in cold or like, I'm going to like, take those notes with me, but I'm going to disobey something clearly that God is saying to me over and over again in this moment that I need to go do. So she asked her friend who's driving to turn around, goes back, uh, ends up taking her, her Bible again with all of her notes and ends up taking it to this homeless gentleman, introducing herself and saying, hey, by the way, like I, know, I don't know you and you don't know me, but like it's okay if you think I'm a little crazy here, but God told me that I was supposed to give this to you. And he said, yeah, I can't take that. And, and she said, no, like, really, I want you to take it. Like, you'll be helping me if you'll take it. Please take it. No, no, like, you don't understand. Like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, I'm, a, I'm an atheist. Like, you know, you don't, you don't want to waste that on me. No, no, really, I please take this. No, I just can't do it. She starts walking back to the car. She says, I don't know why I'm supposed to leave my Bible here, but I'm supposed to leave my Bible here. And so she turns around to the guy and she says, you know, they're you know, several feet apart now. Turns around and says, hey, by the way, I'm, I feel so convicted to leave this here. I'm gonna leave it here on the ground. I'm gonna get in the car. I'm gonna go away. And if you don't pick it up, it's just gonna lay there. I really think that you're supposed to have this. To which he says, no, no, please don't do that. He said, somebody needs that truth and that hope. It just can't be me. Somebody needs it, but it just can't be me. Do you hear the unworthiness in that? Do you hear the, like this God's love stuff might be like okay for church folk, but, but that's not really something that applies to me. Like, can you hear that? It makes me think about Thomas. One of the things I really felt like God spoke into my spirit this week not giving me clear answers on what Thomas's exact issues were in and through the resurrection, but the opportunity to be able to appreciate the fact that in Thomas saying, I'm going to have to touch the scars on the man that I knew as Jesus to believe that this is real, it, it, um, it kind of came to me that um, in some way, shape, or form, what that's saying is that Thomas's scars in his own life are so large and so big that it prevents him from seeing Jesus's scars, right? Like, like his scars are like, like hurting and big and wounded. And this is a delicate, challenging moment. And do you hear a little bit of like unworthiness of that, of like, gosh, I don't even know if I even want this to be true. Like, can this good news be that good? 
And then Jesus and him have this beautiful interaction where Jesus doesn't scold or shame him. He just simply says, you know, you've had the opportunity to, you know, to see me and then to believe out of that seeing. But blessed are those who will come after you that, well, you know, their belief will shape their sight. Like their belief, that's what will, will shape their sight. I was uh, struck by the John MacArthur quote this week, no one is harder to reach than a false Christian. No one is harder to reach than a false Christian. I kind of don't like the judginess in that, in that quote, if I'm being honest. But can you push through that with me for just a second? Because beyond the judgment of this quote, there's an incredible truth if we can grab it, which is like said another way, it's really hard for Jesus to pour into you when you think that you already have all that Jesus has to offer. It's really hard for Jesus to pour into you Something that can stick when you already feel like that you kind of have it all. Where, where God, right, is wanting to do a new thing in you. God's not wanting to do that thing around you. God's not wanting to do that thing by you. Not without you, but through you. Like, can you think about a moment about these mixed emotions that the disciples were encountering that we encounter all the time in our life? Like caught between fearfulness and fearlessness. Caught between being scared about what God might be saying and excited about what God might be saying. Like pivotal, critical moments where we know that the next step that's taken will have to be taken out of belief because we certainly can't see it. We like certainly can't fully understand like where that step is meant to be. And yet we absolutely can trust in the Holy Spirit to be able to take that step like with God like with each other. Like Jesus' response to Thomas to me is a really big deal. Like Jesus maybe could have said, like, I don't know guys, I told you once, I'm not gonna tell you again. Like you just missed it. Like you missed the truth. Like I'm done with you. That's not the purpose of like these resurrection sightings of Jesus. Jesus didn't shame them for their betrayals. In fact, in his risen state, it's almost like he's coming to give them what he was trying to give them in the beginning, but now they were in a better position to receive, and that is the freedom that he had to offer them. The freedom from all of those things that could hold them down and back. The freedom. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, hey, I've been freed from some of that, and I want to pass that healing on to you. Here's my Holy Spirit. Like in the other gospels, right? We have this amazing opportunity to experience the resurrection and then Pentecost at a later time, right? But John kind of combines all of it. And, and we have this beautiful opportunity to appreciate the fact that the Holy Spirit is very much present in this moment where Jesus says, like my father sent me and I'm sending you. Like, like there's, there's a gift here for you to receive. And as you receive that gift, I turn you loose and we're going to set the world on holy fire. I, um, I don't know why this welled up in my spirit this week, but I remember that the year was 2000. I remember that Drew, uh, our oldest son, was just born. I remember um, trying to explain Easter to him and feeling like as a dad I was doing a horrible job. And so I remember kind of writing down a children's story for him. And it's one that, what is it, 2023, I, I haven't thought about this story in all that time, but I actually tried to recreate it because like my heart wanted to hear that story again this week. And 
It's okay, I, just, I want to share that story and then just uh, share a prayer and allow that to close the message. But I, I want to invite you to find yourself um, in this story. I know it's odd to start a sermon with a, um, a, a, you know, a, a movie clip and then end with kind of what could be a bit of a children's story. Um, but, um, but so it is uh, today. Um, this is kind of how that story goes. Uh, uh, for those of you that um, like, were following Jesus in the 90s, you're going to remember the Ray Bolt's watch the lamb phase of faith that you might have gone through. I was very much in that phase of faith when this first kind of came to my spirit. Um, and what I was doing is saying, like, if Drew were a little boy and he were running around uh, Jerusalem today, what would he encounter? And so it goes something like this. Like he had heard so much about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Like his family was, was like from the Sea of Galilee. Like they were fishermen. Like his house was nothing fancy, but, but for the last several years, anytime, anytime he was on the Sea of Galilee fishing with his Abba, he would, he would hear so many stories about this man Jesus and the miraculous things that he'd done. And so he got up bright and early one morning, but instead of doing his normal chores, like he just decided that he had to meet Jesus face to face. And so, like, normally a little child wouldn't scale the countryside for a rabbi, but, but he heard that this teacher was different. And so he went to all the places where he'd heard that Jesus was. Like, he first went to a mountainside um, where, like, you know, he ran into this lady who told him, hey, you, like, you just missed him. He was here. But the craziest thing, like, more than 5,000 of us gathered and, like, were immersed in his teaching and like he was putting this teaching in language that each of us could understand. But, but like when we got hungry, then he took a little boy's lunch. A boy kind of just like you. And he fed all of us with leftovers to spare. But you just missed him. He went that way. And, and then he went that way and he went to like a lakeside. And somebody told him about the night where the disciples were on a boat. And they thought that it was a ghost walking towards them in the water. But, but it was Jesus. And, and so he called to Peter. And as long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, well, he walked on the water too. But, but you just missed him. He went that way. And then he went to the next town over where there was a woman that like told him a story about like men lining up to stone her in the street and Jesus stepped in between her and them and the stones and told them that like the one that had never sinned, they could throw as many stones as they wanted to at her, but not one stone was cast her way. And she said, I owe that man my life. He saved me. He set me free. He reminded me of who I was and who I am. And my life will never be the same. I hope you find him, but you just missed him. He went that way. Then he went to a town called Bethany and talked to a man, Lazarus, who said that Jesus had like just raised him from the dead. And I said, well, that sounded crazy, but it's true, he said. Jesus called me out of the, that grave right there. He called me by name and he gave me another chance at life. But you just missed him. You see, he went that way. And then the little boy found himself at the upper room where some women like can't wait to tell him this story where Jesus like washed all of their feet. Like the servant's feet, the disciple's feet. One servant said it was my job to wash his feet, but instead he washed mine. He washed us all and he told us if like we couldn't receive his service, then we really didn't have anything to give away in his name. And then they said, well, well, like, you know, there was like that man at that table and then this man stormed out like it was a thing. But then like, well, Jesus and them have gone now. You, you just missed them all. 
And then he went into Jerusalem and he went right to the temple steps to ask for Jesus. And he heard stories about tables turned over and threatened Pharisees. And Jesus was nowhere to be found. And and then he went to Pilate's house to ask for Jesus. And he couldn't find uh, anybody to talk to him about what was happening. But suddenly there was a Roman kid about his same age. And he said that like, you know, like he couldn't believe what had happened because like it was a really horrible, difficult scene. Really horrible, difficult scene about like this man who was tried and then was beaten and then was sent out kind of carrying a cross beam, but he didn't know how he was still standing because he was wounded so significantly. And the little boy said, I'm sorry, but I think you just missed him. You may want to try that hill over there. And then he followed the road to a hill called Golgotha or Calvary. And the little boy saw a Roman soldier and he asked him if he'd seen Jesus. And the soldier gave him a lecture pointing to the top of the hill and said, hey, the only people that, up here, that, are, the only people that end up up here are soldiers, thieves, or traitors. Which one are you? You don't want anything to do with him if he was up here, kid. And the boy pressed on and the soldier said, well, it sounded like the man that had been crucified, but they took him off the cross and... They laid him in a borrowed tomb just over that hill. You just missed him. Little boy, overwhelmed with sadness, looked everywhere for Jesus, and it sounds like he was too late. Found his way to that borrowed tomb, and he noticed that like there's this big stone in front of it, and it had been rolled aside, and there was some commotion, and he saw another soldier nearby who seemed upset, who said, like, if you're looking for Jesus, you're too late. I'm sorry, you just missed him. The little boy didn't want the soldier to see him cry. But he went behind the big stone and when he knew nobody could see him, he began to sob. Like with his face buried in his hands, he knew his journey had been for nothing and that like this Jesus he was looking for was still missing. And he was interrupted by one who, well, kind of looked like a garden gardener in the early morning mist. And he inquired like what was wrong with the little boy and through the tears he said, sir, I'm just so very sad. I've looked everywhere for Jesus my Lord and I cannot find him anywhere. Have you seen him? Have I missed him again? And the little boy noticed something odd about this gardener for this gardener didn't just have calloused hands but he had like scars in his hands. And he noticed that when he reached out to embrace him when the gardener that was really Jesus said, it's me. And I'm here. And I've been with you every step of the way. And I will be with you always. And then Jesus saw a smile break through the tears. And the boy reached his hand out to take Jesus' hand. And he said, my Lord and my God... And Jesus said, let's get you home. Friends, so it it is with him and and so it is with you and me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining the Long's Chapel Message Podcast. If you connected in any way with us via this podcast, we invite you to connect further by either leaving a rating and review down below or contacting us via our church website at longschapel.com. Here at Long's Chapel, we believe in worshiping and serving God by reaching people and growing together as passionate followers of Jesus Christ because all people matter to God. See you next week.